Welcome to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson. I'm joined today by the show's co-host and producer, Joe Armstrong. And boy, do we have a lot of politics and law and things in between to talk about today. We are recording this episode the night of January 6, 2021, when we have seen an insurrection in the Capitol. We have seen an angry mob of Trump supporters storm the Capitol, break into the Capitol. I saw images of our elected officials, members of Congress, cowering in the chamber, uh, using chairs as protection, wearing gas masks. I spoke to a member of Congress, and she said that they were told over the loudspeaker, which they never hear the loudspeaker, they were told to only open their office for the official security. And she said to me, but how am I to know that this is the official security when they say they are? These are scenes that I never thought we would hear or describe. And I don't think it's an overstatement, Joe, to say that today our country in a lot of ways looks unrecognizable. We are going to talk through what happened today, and specifically, we're going to address some pressing legal questions. The constitutional issues. Will the 25th Amendment be invoked to remove the president of the United States? Another constitutional option. Will the president be impeached? Other legal questions. Is this sedition? Is this a coup d'etat? And what is going to happen going forward, both legally and politically? Joe Armstrong, please walk us through What happened today? Jessica, Jessica, day of days. A lot of us watched what transpired today and were left slack-jawed and flummoxed. I know I certainly was. I know that you and I talked a lot about election nightmares. We did two separate episodes on all the possible permutations of events that could derail this election. But we did not have storming the Capitol on our list. We had talked about general civil unrest. We had talked about violence. But today we witnessed the President of the United States incite what many elected officials are calling an insurrection. Those are their words. I, on a very personal level, I am embarrassed and ashamed about what I witnessed today, and I can only imagine how we appear on the international stage. Now, how did this all get started? Donald Trump, the president, at a rally this morning, which was in Washington, D.C., in a place called the Ellipse behind the White House, where a number of thousand Trump supporters had gathered there, said that he would never concede to President-elect Joe Biden. The words he said were, and I quote, we will never give up, we will never concede. Now, Jessica, I know that concession itself doesn't really play into this exactly. It's not essential that the president concede for the next president to take office, correct? That's right. We've talked about this before. Legally speaking, the president of the United States never has to concede the election. But let's remember, one of the things that makes our country special is that there are two people, typically two men, who really passionately and vigorously fight it out for months about who is going to be the next president. They both have starkly different visions of how to serve our country. And then after the election, it's clear that there's a winner and there's a loser. And the person who loses turns to the other person and says, I wish you the best of luck because you are now my president too. And that has been something for centuries we've been so proud of in our country. And I know this is going to sound a bit hyperbolic, but let's all remember that our grand experiment in self-governance, our grand experiment in having a representative democracy, in having a republic, none of this is etched in stone. None of this is guaranteed. 
all of this depends on our respect. All of this depends on a social contract that we all agree to. And today, based on what we saw, I worry that there is at least a tear in that social contract. Absolutely, Jessica. Now, in the same speech, President Trump pressured his vice president, Mike Pence, to intervene and flip the results of the election to him. Now, Trump said, quote, I hope Mike is going to do the right thing. I hope so. I hope so. Because if Mike Pence does the right thing, we win the election. Now, big, big words there. This is going to come back to haunt us later. Now, in a letter this week, Mike Pence, the vice president, wrote, quote, It is considered my judgment that my oath to support and defend the Constitution constrains me from claiming unilateral authority to determine which electoral votes should be counted and which should not. And what does that mean? That means that he's saying that he's not going to do that for President Trump. And now at that same rally, Trump lawyer, former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani said, quote, If we're wrong, we will be made fools of. But if we're right, a lot of them will go to jail. Let's have trial by combat. I'm willing to stake my reputation. The president is willing to stake his reputation on the fact that we're going to find criminality there. Now, trial by combat, Jessica, that is a stunning phrase to be heard from anyone involved in a presidential administration. Do you have thoughts about that? That is really extraordinary. And let's remember how the day started. Today is supposed to be a procedural hurdle that essentially goes unnoticed. And what happened today is that the joint session starts out. Vice President Pence is there and he says, "Okay, let's open the Electoral College votes. Let's start counting. We knew there was going to be an objection. There was an objection when we got to Arizona. We didn't get very far. It goes alphabetically. And Senator Mitch McConnell then gets up on stage and he makes a speech that would have been really extraordinary four years ago. And he basically says, we've got to care about the rule of law. We have to put country above party. I'm paraphrasing here. And then he just torches President Trump's arguments about the election. He says, we have looked at this. State court judges, federal judges, the FBI, the Department of Justice, Everybody's looked at this. Nobody has found massive voter fraud. We need to move forward. We know what happened in this election. Again, I'm paraphrasing. And it was not so little, but it was so late. And I thought this is going to be the extraordinary moment. And of course, almost right after that happens, where Senator Mitch McConnell, I suspect, realizes that he's about to be the minority leader for a party that's breaking apart, that Almost right after that, we see that there is an angry mob that storms the Capitol. And it's interesting because the minority leader in the House, Kevin McCarthy, said on CBS, this is not who we are. But, Joe, I think I speak for both of us when I say look at the TV screen and look at what we've been hearing for the last four years four months. This is who we have in a lot of ways become. Not all of us, certainly, but this is the America that the world sees today. And both internally and externally, this is a stain on our country. And I I think we both have this feeling that you cannot continue to say to people for four years, there's something wrong. You can't trust the system. People are out to get you. There's massive fraud. Things are stolen from you. The election was stolen from you. And then expect that nothing happens. 
I heard Mitch McConnell's words too, Jessica, and I feel exactly the same way you do, and this is not a partisan statement. I have watched Mitch McConnell and other people who have carried water for the president look the other way as he shattered norms, as he put children in cages, as he rode roughshod over constitutional precepts. So I feel like what Mitch McConnell's been doing, and others, it's not all on him, He's been pushing us towards the cliff, and by us I mean our society, pushing us towards the cliff, pushing us towards the cliff. There's nothing going, you know, everything's fine. And then when we get to the edge of the cliff, this morning in his speech, strong words that he said, and yes, of course, it's a denouncement of the president, the sitting president. But I feel like right when we're at the edge of the cliff, Mitch McConnell says, wait, 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 don't push those people over the cliff. We value life. We shouldn't be doing that kind of thing. Those feel, Jessica, like empty words to me. Well, and... You know, Senator Mitch McConnell is not alone. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, who has been a stalwart supporter of President Trump for a long time, said just moments ago, all I can say is count me out. Enough is enough. You know, how many times, Joe, have you and I talked about where is the tipping point? At what point did the Republican Party say enough? And I think we're seeing from the vote count that it's enough for some, but it's certainly not enough for all. We're still having, as we record this program, split decisions when it comes to objections, for instance, in Arizona, where some Republicans voted to sustain the objections, to not count those electoral college votes. There is, There were no problems that would cause anyone to say we shouldn't count the votes that were certified, the votes by the people of Arizona that were certified, that were litigated. Enough is Enough comes from Lindsey Graham, would have been really useful three years ago, two years ago, a year ago, two months ago. With two weeks to go, I find their words hollow, Jessica. Now, one thing that's been tossed around a lot today, you were saying before that this is not all of us, and I agree with you, this is not all people, it's not even all Republicans, right? But it's enough of us to storm the Capitol building, Jessica. When we see that playing out on international news when we see this happening in other countries when the losing party in an election storms the capitol building and sets things on fire and good lord people sometimes get killed the word coup d'etat starts to get thrown around now jessica is this our coup d'etat is this something we should be concerned about i really did not think we were going to be having this conversation today and i know that i've said this a lot to you so what is a coup d'etat most people know this as a coup it is a sudden and decisive use of force. It is the attempt to violently overthrow an existing government by a small group. Uh, That is certainly what it looks like today. And if we're not at a coup, we are perilously close to it. And I've read in international news just very recently, people have said, America, you have to learn to call this what it is. And we don't know exactly what all of the people who stormed the Capitol wanted. Some of them may have wanted attention. Some of them may simply have wanted to wreak havoc. But some of them may have wanted to overthrow our existing government. And that is where we start to use the word coup. Now, Donald Trump has been feeding them this line, this false narrative, that he and his party won the election just over two months ago. And in some ways, I can't blame them for believing this, because if you're a big Donald Trump supporter, if you drink all of his Kool-Aid, he has been saying this consistently over and over and over and over again. It's very Orwellian. How is this not a political party putting their desire for power above the stability of the nation itself? 
How is Donald Trump not culpable for this? His words in the days leading up to today. This is a tweet that he tweeted on December the 18th. Quote, statistically impossible to have lost the 2020 election. Big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Be there. Will be wild. Exclamation point. To me, that's a harbinger of things to come. How is he not responsible for mob action in this case? Does he bear legal responsibility for this? No, I think that the answer is probably not because we have a very robust First Amendment tradition in our country. And we don't want people who give impassioned speeches to be worried that if people take to the streets, if people take to the Capitol as a result of hearing what they said, that that person is responsible. Imagine the you know, civil rights leader who is saying, this can't be our country. We have to upend norms. We have to be in a place that doesn't look anything like this, that looks like a place of equality. If people listen to that speech and then take it upon themselves to act in violent ways, we don't want to chill the speech of that civil rights leader. Now, I know we're not talking about a civil rights leader, but that's basically the idea that you have to have a something very direct where you're really telling people, here's exactly what I want you to do. Now, it doesn't, of course, mean that the president won't face any criminal liability or criminal exposure, but that's very likely for different acts. Jessica, but watching this whole thing play out today, I feel like the sad truth is this entire incident was by design. Donald Trump loves to foment chaos. That's what tactic he has used for decades to manipulate people in situations. It goes back to his days as a real estate magnet. But uh, I don't know. You can't go to the guy who lit the fuse and tell that same guy to put the fuse out. Now, Jessica, trivia time. The last group to storm the United States Capitol was who? Was the British who set fire to the Capitol building on August 24th of 1814. Pretty good long time ago. Now in the War of 1812, at that same time, they also set fire to the White House, which was at that time called the President's Mansion. But, Jessica, what are constitutional options here in terms of the president? If he's culpable, if nothing else, he is sowing chaos in our society. And uh, there's been talk about the 25th Amendment. There's been talk about impeachment. How much reality are we dealing with here? Probably not a lot. So at the time that we're recording the episode, there's 13 more days of this administration. And let's just all take a moment to say we now realize when in the private world, when you fire somebody, typically security is waiting and they say, we'll stand next to you while you clear out your desk and then we'll escort you to your car. And they don't say, we want you to leave. We voted you out. But if you'd like to stay around the company for two, three months, please, whatever you need to get done, take your time. And so one of the things I think that we will be evaluating is whether it makes any sense to have such a long lame duck session. But you asked me about the big kind of nuclear constitutional options. The first is the 25th Amendment. There's a section, Section 4 of the 25th Amendment, where a president is involuntarily removed because he's unable to fulfill the duties of his office. This would likely require the vice president and a majority of the cabinet, a majority of the 16-member cabinet, to band together and say, yes, we agree, we should pull the plug and we should say that the president is unable to fulfill the duties of his office. I don't think we've seen anything today, even today, that would cause these loyalists, the vice president of the United States, the president's current cabinet, to take such an action. I know there's been reporting that there's initial discussions about this. I still don't quite see it happening. And 
remember, of course, that the president can say, no, I am actually fine, at which point a supermajority of both the House and the Senate have to vote to say, no, you're not. So that's one option. Another option is impeachment. Now, impeachment in some ways would be symbolic, again, because the president's going to be shown the door in less than two weeks. There are, I believe, the votes in the House to impeach. But again, remember the Senate. You need a supermajority of the Senate to vote to convict, and that means remove from office. I believe that would take 17 GOP senators. I don't see that right now. Now, I know impeachment might feel purely symbolic, but it's actually not. One of the conditions of impeachment, if you are impeached, you can say and you cannot hold higher office again. And this would cut off at the pass if President Trump tries to run for office or at least raise money to run for office, that would cut off that avenue. So all long way of saying it's extraordinary that we're even having these conversations, but I do not believe we'll use the 25th Amendment and I don't believe that the president will be impeached again. Now, Jessica, how about the votes themselves? They are ongoing as we are recording. I knew there were six uh, senators who decided to sustain the Arizona vote, but they're going alphabetically. There are other states down the line. How long can this procedure go on? It can go on for quite a while. So this is a question I've been getting a lot today, which is, well, what if Congress doesn't count and certify? And the answer is, don't worry, everyone. The real deadline is January 20th, and Congress will count and certify by January 20th. And that's, again, the day that President Trump's term ends. Now, let's do a couple of ifs. If this process goes really slowly, what the federal law says is, well, then speed it up after five days. Basically, stop taking breaks, stop taking recesses. If you really, Congress, drag this on so long, then try and hit the gas a little bit. Um, I don't think it's going to take that long. I suspect that there's going to be enormous pressure on both sides to try and come to a quick bipartisan agreement to put an end to these objections. I think there will be more objections. There's about a band of six senators who seem willing to sustain those objections. But we know where they're going. We know they will be voted down. Now, if for some reason Congress is not able to count and certify by January 20th, what do we have? We have our first female president of the United States. We have President Nancy Pelosi. This is not how Nancy Pelosi wants to become the first female president. This is, again, not going to happen. But legally, if Congress does fail to count and certify, that would be the mechanism. Again, I suspect what we're going to see is objections, debates, voting, and this process will be done soon, at which point there are no more hurdles. There's nothing left to do before the inauguration. Now, Jessica, there is another story before we shuffle off tonight. This would have been a story that it would have taken up almost all the oxygen on a normal news day like we have those anymore. There was a special election in Georgia. We're going to do another episode later this week that discusses that in more detail. But the simple uh, simple truth of the matter is that the Senate power structure has shifted to the Democrats. It is Senate is tied. Raphael Warnock beat Kelly Loeffler. John Ossoff beat David Perdue. In other words, both of those special election runoffs were won by Democrats, handing control of the Senate to Democrats, leaving Mitch McConnell out of a job as Senate majority leader. So we'll be seeing some different names on the news at night when we hear about these things that happen in the Senate. 
Now, Jessica, there is one thing here. Kamala Harris was a senator. She's the incoming vice president-elect. To describe what her role is with a tied 50-50 Senate. Well, you know, a couple of things. One, obviously, it is a sea change that Democrats will control uh, the Oval Office, the House, and the Senate because Vice President Kamala Harris will be the tie-breaking vote. But and I feel like it's always my job in life to rain on people's parade. If you're a Democrat, remember that a lot of legislation takes 60 votes because of the filibuster. And so, of course, there's a lot of power that comes with being in the majority. But this is the thinnest of majorities. And there's something called essentially budget reconciliation that we'll talk about in more depth. But this gives Democrats more power, but certainly not unfettered power. Now, is Vice President Kamala Harris going to be the most powerful vice president because she's the tie-breaking vote? I would say maybe not, because just being able to go into the Senate chambers and say, here I am for a predictable vote for Democrats, is different from having the president's ear. It's different from guiding policy. It's different than trying to set a national agenda. So I think the jury's still out on how much this means for her role. But certainly, I think we'll see a lot more of her in the Senate chamber than we have of other vice presidents. And as you said, we're going to do an episode recapping the Georgia elections later this week. So I think that about does it for us on a surreal day that in so many ways felt like we were watching a movie of what was happening in our country. Joe, any parting thoughts? Yeah, I sat and watched most of this transpire in real time today, which is something I don't normally do. I generally read my news, but I was glued to the television today. And on a day when I feel like we should be celebrating the largest, most secure election in American history, more Americans have voted than ever before. At last count, 155,507,229 votes cast as of right now. But here we are. We have tear gas. We had flashbangs inside the United States Capitol building today. There was a fatality today. A woman was shot, lost her life there. In the social media sphere, in the socials, Twitter decided they'd had enough. They removed three of Donald Trump's tweets and locked his account for 12 hours with a warning that if anything like that goes back again, that he will face further blockage. We watched armed guards escort senators back into the Senate chamber for their vote. And the photograph, Jessica, I think that sticks with me most, the image that sticks with me most, is Capitol security guards standing behind the blockaded door in the House chamber with their guns drawn, pointing that at faces of protesters who were coming through the door. It's a miracle that only one person was shot. I feel terrible for the family of the woman who lost her life. And repeat after me, everyone, the peaceful transfer of power is a hallmark of our democracy. Jessica, I don't know where we go from here. Well, I think that obviously there's huge issues that we need to confront in terms of having a large percentage of the American public who believes falsehoods, lies, disinformation. And we're going to have to see what the future of the Republican Party is, as I talked about before. So I think that does it for us. Thank you very much, everybody, for passing judgment with us. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod, me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica, Joe on Twitter at In Depth Day. And we love having you along for these conversations. Please, of course, listen, rate, subscribe, and we will talk to you next time.